a marvel to see our dreams so realized. But all these bright lights run together after a while, and our blaze of glory turns ordinary overnight. Our blaze of glory turns How you doing? It's good to see you this weekend. As Ross mentioned a moment ago, we're in week three of our Wonder Life series all over North Texas. Uh, we have people meeting in coffee shops and living rooms and meeting rooms talking about not the perfect life, but the wonder life. What does it mean to step into your destiny? What does it mean to relieve yourself of the pressure of a perfect story and to begin to embrace your calling? And Probably of all the weeks that I've been teaching now, the third week of Wonder Life, uh, this is my favorite week because I love a good story. How many of you just love a great story? Okay, so it's every, everybody loves a great story. So I'm going to tell you a story that's in the Bible today, and I want to ask you to do something I never, I don't think I ever ask you to do. I don't want you to get a notepad. I don't want you to get a Bible. I don't, nothing right now. Just let me take you through the story, and then we'll grab our notepads and our Bibles in just a moment. This is the story that I'm telling you, if Hollywood would have written it, uh, they'd be getting a little golden statue for writing this story. It's an unbelievable story that's got everything in it. It's one book of the Bible tells this story. It's the book of Esther. It's the book of Esther. Esther is an interesting book. Not only does it tell the story, this is interesting. The name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, but God's all over the story. Isn't that interesting? The name of God's nowhere mentioned in the book of Esther, but God is all over the story. It, and I've written down some notes because really this is like 10-week series. And I'm thinking I'm going to do 10 weeks on this book one day, but I've got to narrow it down for this weekend. And so I, I want to tell you that there are some main characters in the story. The first one is the king of Persia, and his name is Xerxes. Everybody say Xerxes. Xerxes. Isn't it fun to say Xerxes. And he's throwing this huge banquet. I don't have time to get into it, but the Greeks are amassing at his borders. And when he ought to be preparing for war, he's throwing this party. He throws this elaborate banquet. And the, as, the, as the Bible tells the story, the, they have a, a seven-day kegger. That's really what they have. Now think about it. They have seven days, and the Bible says for seven days, the king, Xerxes, tells everybody there, you can have as much to drink as you want to drink, the best that you got for seven days. And uh, this is what happens is they party for a week and everybody, here's what the Bible says. It says they were in high spirits from wine. <laughs> seven days, I guess so. <laughs> They're plastered, dude. They're turned. Whatever word you use. <laughs> right? Anybody ever know somebody that makes a bad decision 
when they drink too much? Anybody ever met somebody? I know none of y'all would ever. Anybody ever? Well, seven days, they get plastered, and Xerxes has a wife, and her name is, it depends on what part of the country you're from and how you pronounce it, but her name is Vashti. Everybody say Vashti. Okay? She's hotter than bacon grease. Okay? In case you don't know this, kings of Persia don't pick ugly wives. She's very attractive, and as the story goes, the king plastered, says, I want you to come over, and here's what the Bible says, I want you to bring your tiara, and I want to parade you in front of all the people. Now, most scholars would say, because the Bible says, just bring your tiara, that he wants you to come over, disrobe, put her tiara on, and walk in front of all these drunk men. How many of we know, how many of you know that's a bad idea? Okay. And again, I'm not making this up. You can go check me in the Bible on this deal. So bring your tiara and a smile, and I want you to come over to the drunk party. This is what I want you to do. Vashti says no. Smart woman. And Xerxes gets mad. He goes to his advisors, and he says to his advisors, what am I supposed to do? She says no. Now, his advisors are a bunch of men. Okay. And the men go, well, you can't have your wife disrespecting you. If she disrespects you all over the country, women are going to start disrespecting their husbands. And uh, by the way, that's really bad advice he got. And so he has Vashti done away with. She's no longer the queen, right? And we'll talk about this in a few moments, but like you, he tries to fix one bad decision with another bad decision. And so like the original bachelor begins, it does. He's, the Bible says he starts searching, brings in women, dresses them up, takes them on dates, and decides who's going to be the next queen. So, you know, like, there's nothing new under the sun, girls. Bastard has been going on ever since the days of Persia. No, Olivia, you're going home. You're a crazy woman. No. Come on, somebody. I'm going I'm to kick one of you twins off the island, then I'm going to kick the other one off later. Yeah. So they, they got this bachelor thing happening, and there's a woman, and her name is Esther, and she's beautiful. She's an orphan. She lives with her cousin. His name is Mordecai. Everybody say Mordecai. That's a pretty cool name, isn't it? It's not an awesome story, really. I mean, you can't make this up. And lo and behold, he picks Esther to be his queen. Esther doesn't really want to be his queen, but you don't tell the king no. And it's interesting because Mordecai is a Jew. Esther is a Jew. Xerxes' like right-hand guy is a guy named Haman. Okay, anybody know somebody who's always trying to get ahead? Always trying to position themselves, build their platform, network? Any of you know anybody like that? Well, whoever you know, Haman's that person on steroids. Okay, he's always positioning himself, uh, trying to put himself in favor with the king. And so uh, once Esther is made the queen, and now she's living with Mordecai, the, the Bible says that this Haman guy, who has an ego bigger than any ego you can ever think of, says to the king, I think everybody ought to bow down to me. I think everybody, when they ought to go, in, in, in honor of your kingdom, everybody ought to bow down to me. And Xerxes says, okay, guess who the only person is who won't bow down? It's Mordecai, because the Jew's not going to bow down to anybody but God. And this drives Haman crazy. 
And so Haman says to Xerxes, hey, we need to issue a decree that we're going to wipe all the Jews out of this country. We're going we're to exterminate all the Jews. And so the decree is issued. So you got a queen who's a Jew, kind of an undercover Jew with Mordecai. And Mordecai is at the city gate and he's beside himself. He's so sad about the Jewish people being wiped out that Xerxes is going to do this. And he sends word back to Esther saying, Esther, you're going to have to go do something about this. Now, here's the problem. If you go in front of the king, even if you're the queen, if you go in front of the king without being summoned by the king, the general pattern of behavior is you get killed. Right? So there's a huge risk that Esther is taking when she's going to go before the king. And uh, so Esther chapter 4 says this in the message version. When Hadith told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, Help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for just a time as this. Now, in wonder life terminology, everybody look at me. Maybe this is what God created you for. Maybe this is your calling. And Esther says back to Mordecai. Go and get all the Jews living in Susa together. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, either day or night. I and my maids will fast with you. If you will do this, I'll go to the king, even though it's forbidden. And if I die, I die. Most of us that have read the Bible before, this is that famous passage where she says, if I perish, I perish. But this is my calling, and I'm going to go. Now, the rest of the story, but again, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but the rest of the story basically is she goes before the king. She decides to throw a banquet. Haman's in the middle of this thing, this egotistical egomaniac's in the middle of it, uh, still trying to get Mordecai wiped off the face of the earth. Before the whole thing is over, God speaks in the life of Xerxes as he reads the law. He remembers Mordecai, and it leads to not only Haman's death, but it leads to the, the uh, decree being reversed that all the Jews are going to be killed. And now the decree is issued that all the Jews are going to be protected. That's basically the story of Esther. I've given you kind of the reader's digest version. But there's so much in this story that we could talk about today. There's just, now, this is where I want you to get out your notepads. Because I want to talk to you a little bit about your calling, about walking in your calling. We talked last weekend about how do you discover your calling. Now I want to talk to you about walking in your calling. What does it look like from the story of Esther? And there's just three things that I think are really important for us to understand about the wonder life and living the life God designed for us. Number one, write this down. If you've ever wondered what God is looking for, what is really God looking for? God is looking for this in people. He's looking for humility and availability. See, we've been taught in America that God is looking for giftedness. God gives the giftedness. He's not looking for giftedness. He's not looking for personality. He's not looking for a disc profile. 
He's not looking for a strength finder. There's nothing wrong with those things, but that, that's not what he's looking for. What he's looking for is humility and availability. James 4 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That, and, that's a, and I've talked about this before. It bears repeating that this is a military term in the Greek language that literally translated God lines up against the proud but it brings help and benefit to the humble. That, that God is looking for a humble heart. God's just looking for a humble heart. Now, when I talk about humility, I think we have sometimes a false picture of what humility is. When I say, well, tell me who the least humble person that you know is, and you think about somebody who brags about themselves, somebody who seems to be very proud, who seems to be full of confidence, can I tell you that, and I think C.S. Lewis, at least he's credited with this quote, and I think this is really true, that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Okay? So humility can be someone who, who it's all about them, and it, they, they're always bragging, they always look at me. But you know what? Like somebody who doesn't feel like they measure up, that can be pride too. What humility is, is when my reasoning and my perspective starts with God and then moves to me. Humility is when my way of thinking and operating, I'm going to begin with God and it's going to move to me. And pride begins with me and then moves to God. And when you read the Bible, what do you find is the character quality the the work of the spirit that god is wanting to do in your life is god is wanting to move us to a place in every aspect of our life you want to radically transform your marriage start with god and then move to you okay you want to radically transform relationships start with god and then move to you okay you want to you want to radically transform your prayer life Quit making God the checkout guy at Kroger. Dear God, thank you for this day and all its many blessings. Now I'd like to tell you all the things that I need you to do for me. And move to God, not my will, but your will. And it'll radically transform your prayer life. God is looking for a humble heart. Here's what T.F. Tenney said. I love this. He said that, that my job is to humble myself right? My, my job is to humble myself and God's job is to promote me. And if I start doing God's job, he will start doing mine, right? And so if, if, if my life is about me and about promotion and about what I can get out of my life, God will stand in opposition to that. One of the problems that you see right here in the life of Xerxes is he makes a bad decision and he compounds it with another bad decision. He makes a bad decision to go on a seven-day drunk and he makes a bad, and being drunk, the, the bad decision leads him to tell his wife to come parade her around and when she refuses, his response to that is to kick her out of the How many of you ever had like one bad decision that led to another bad decision that led to another bad decision? And don't lie, everybody, you're in church financially in some area of your life well, the, the, you know what the core of one bad decision after another is it's pride it's i'm going to take care of this myself i did this i'm going to fix it 
Here's what's, here's what's hard for us, guys. Look at me. This is an American ideal that is not a kingdom ideal. We are so baptized in a culture that said, you did it, you got to fix it. How about getting to the place to go, I blew it, God, you're going to have to take over. That's humility. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's Ross talked a moment ago about how in our weakness, God's strength is shown. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. It's about starting with God and moving. God's just looking for humility, and God's looking for availability. Are, y'all see, are you seeing a theme in all of these stories I'm showing you in the Bible that these people aren't, the whole point is they're not very special. They're just available, <laughs> right? There's nothing special about Joseph. There's nothing, there's nothing special about Esther. God picks, in that culture, think about it, an orphan female to change the destiny of a nation. Why? Because God loves people. And when God loves people, you know how he fixes problems among people? He uses available people. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth, looking to strengthen a heart that is fully committed to him. If you stay humble and if you stay available, God will use you. Like, I'm just a simple guy. I was telling somebody on our staff the other day, you know, when you lead an organization like this organization, one of the, one of the, the character quality or one of the personality things you've got to develop is the ability to multitask, you know, to spend different plates and leadership and, te- and all the things... But, but, but I'm case something, like, that's really hard for me. And, and I think we come, and I think some of you are just like me, and you think like this walk with Christ is, I got to spin this plate, I got to do this, and then I got to do this, and then I got to do, and it's like, man, how about we just break it down to, God, help me be humble, and show me where to be available, and I'll show up. God, God doesn't use other people, he uses us people. If we're humble and available. Now, number two, confidence to live out your calling. If you lack confidence to live out your calling, what I see from the life of Esther is God confidence comes from living like you're already dead. Living like you're already dead. If I perish, I perish, Esther says. Now, my friend Michael Fletcher was telling me, was talk, we were talking about this story of Esther, and I was listening to him teach some things on Esther, and he, he talked about living like you're own, already dead. And my friend Michael Fletcher is a pastor in a military town, and he was telling me about this series called Band of Brothers. Any of you seen this Band of Brothers series? So, like, if, like if you're listening to me somewhere online or whatever. Like, go get the airline version. Don't get the, I mean, you'd have to fast forward through a bunch of parts if you get the original version. But it's this story of World War II and a band of brothers in World War II. And they're led by this guy, and his name is Lieutenant Spears. And in the story, they go and they come to this village, and somehow the platoon gets split up. And Lieutenant 
Lieutenant Spears and some of his men are at one end and others at the other end and this massive fighting's happening on Main Street and uh, which isn't a bad thing because they have radio contact, right? And they're kind of coordinating their attack until the radio guy gets killed and they're about to be cut in two and the narrator on the Band of Brothers says, if you didn't see, and this is a true story, if you didn't see it, you wouldn't believe it. Lieutenant Spears jumps over the barricade and he starts running right through the middle of the enemy down Main Street. He's like bumping into him, trying to get to the other side, get his men and to bring his men back. And they ask him, how in the world do you do something like that? And he said, Me, the only way you can win in a battle is you have to fight like you're already dead. Do you understand this is what Paul means in Colossians 3 when he says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. How do you do that? Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Listen, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You show me a person who's decided it's not about them and I'll show you somebody who lives a dangerous calling because you begin to understand that nothing can hurt you. If God is for you, who can be against you? The secret to confidence in Esther's life was she got to the place where she lived like she was already dead. Number three, we'll finish with this today. Second Chronicles 16.9, let me go back to that passage. I want to read it to you. And I want you, some of you have heard me talk about it so much through the years. I want to break it down a little bit for you too. It says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those. Everybody say strengthen those. Whose hearts are fully committed to him. The power to become and to live the wonder, the wonder life that God has created you for will only come through a power greater than yourself. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I brought my kite. Man, it's been a long time since I've had one of these kites before, but what was this kite designed to do? Good, you've seen a kite before. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing inherently special about this plastic and this little, Dad, you remember back when these were like bamboo sticks and now it's like something that doesn't break? There's nothing, but, but what, what, makes that, what makes this do what it was designed to do? You know what it is? It's the wind. It's the wind. Uh, this kite, no matter how great its intentions, no matter how pure its motives, no matter how smart or intelligent or full of personality this kite is, this kite cannot fly without the wind. Right? You cannot live out your calling without the wind of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. It is the work of religion not the work of Christ. I don't know how to do that. I'm just set it here. It's the work of religion and not the work of Christ for you to walk out the door and think you need to do better. It's the work of a crucified Christ that walks out the door 
and says, without your power, I can't do anything. You and I need the wind of the Holy Spirit to live out our calling. Good intentions are not enough. And many of us are fearful to walk in our calling because we tried to walk in our own strength and it hasn't worked. So the question before the house this day is, how do you catch the wind? How do you catch the wind? You ready? Write this one down. One word. Obedience catches the wind of the Spirit. When I do what I don't want to do, because God is calling me to do it, I get filled with a power beyond my own power. When I forgive when I don't want to forgive, when I serve when it's not convenient for me to serve, when I speak a word for Christ, when my knees are knocking together, that's where I start receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. You see this all through Scripture. Abraham leaves everything he knows. And as he begins to move, it's the power of God at work in his life that radically transforms his life. Moses does what lots of us do, argues with God about all the reasons. Here I am, send somebody else. But when he steps out, here comes the wind. Jesus is wrapped in humanity. This is really hard for church people to get. Jesus comes from a nothing family in a nothing town. That's why most people don't accept him. There was nothing extraordinary about him in human flesh until he walks out to meet John the Baptist and here comes the wind. And you begin to read the New Testament, especially the words of Paul that when Paul calls the people who know God to walk in the power of his spirit and that we live markedly different lives because we're being fueled by something differently than everybody else is being fueled by. This is really important because I think a lot of us are standing here going, okay, God, make it fly, make it fly. And God's going, hey, how about you step into it and watch the wind come and lift it. You're waiting for God's spirit to step into your calling. And God's saying, step into your calling and watch me bring, your, bring my spirit. I don't know what God's calling you to. But I have a feeling you do. 
I do not think we struggle because of a lack of information. I think lots of us are waiting on God and God is waiting on us. And I think you were created for such a time as this. And that God has placed you, divinely placed you where you are with the influence he's given you and the people that you're connected with and the place where you go to school and the place where you go to work and the neighborhood that you live in. All this, God's divinely placed you in that place for such a time as this. And because God cares about people, God uses people to bring his kingdom to bear on earth. I think there's a lot of Esther's among us that God's ready to use in powerful ways. Let's be humble. Let's be available. Let's catch the wind. Let's pray together. So, Lord, right now, I just know your your Holy Spirit is stirring something up among every one of us in this room. (laughs) For lots of us that have known you for quite a while, we, we know that there is a place you're asking us to step. There's a place you want us to be obedient. And we're waiting for the strength and power to do it. And I thank you that even this day you're saying to us, man, if you will just step in that direction, I will bring the power of my Holy Spirit in its fullness into your life. And you'll fly like you've never flown before. And then, Lord, I think there's some today who that you know that the call of God on your life is for you to give your life to Jesus Christ fully, to surrender your heart to him to give up on the idea that you can do this on your own to try harder to be better (laughs) you need a savior and I just want to encourage you wherever you sit in this moment if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ the, the author of all of this the author of your wonder life just would you just raise your hand let me pray for you today wherever you sit just raise your hand and you don't have to say anything out loud. The only person who can see you is me. Nobody's looking around but me. Just say in your heart, just say this, Jesus, I give you my life. The best way I know how, I give you my life. I want the power to walk out the life that you have for me. And I thank you, Lord. That right now you're saving me from myself. I thank you, Lord, that never once did you ever ask us to walk alone. That you will be in us and with us. And you will surround us with other fellow 
travelers on this journey to help us. That's why you created community. And so I pray even today, Lord, for those who are beginning to walk out, beginning to walk a life with you, that you would surround them with people that could help them walk this journey. They would realize that you're in them and working through them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.